Well, good morning, everyone. Against the better judgment of my wife, I've decided to wear my Western tie this morning. I uh, hardly ever get a chance to wear it, so I figured this would be a good occasion. Well, welcome. I hope you're doing well under the circumstances. The novelty seems to be wearing off a bit. I'm wondering how much longer this is going to go on. Also wondering if any of you are interested in going out to City Hall to protest. Well, I was supposed to be going to a conference in May, which has obviously been cancelled. It was in the States. Uh, it's been a bit of a runaround trying to get a refund or a credit for my flight. First of all, I called the credit card company because it's one of these cards with a yearly fee and it has cancellation insurance. Well, they told me that um, because it's COVID, they're not going to cover it, that I should contact the airline directly, which I did, WestJet. Had a long time on hold. And they told me that since I had booked the ticket through a third-party travel site, that they couldn't deal with it. I needed to contact that travel agent. Okay, so I did that. Longer time on hold. After about, it was 20, 30 minutes, um, the battery on my portable phone gave out and I lost the call. So I had a call again the next day, finally got through, and they said yes, they'd issue me a travel credit with a booking deadline, um, and that I should watch for the important email that would be the reference for this credit. Um, it, they said it would be the only reference I'd have, so keep it in a safe place. It'd be coming within 48 hours. Well, it's a week later and this important email hasn't come yet. So I'm psyching myself up for another call. Uh, not wanting to make too much of this. Um, it's not really a big deal. And I realize it's a first world problem. Um, and I, you know, I, I recognize it as such. It's maybe just one example of some of the frustrations that we've all been dealing with during this time, and I'm sure you have similar things you've been dealing with. Well, uh, we're in the season of Easter, and I want to continue reflecting on the Gospel texts. Uh, this morning, we're walking with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And like last week, it's an atmosphere of dejection. Last week, I guess last week, yeah, did I say year? Last week, um, it was an atmosphere of, more of fear and anxiety. And this week, it's more of sadness. You know, the ones on the road are just plain sad, maybe even depressed. They're leaving the city after all the activity. And all of their hopes had come to an end. And who are these people exactly? The text just says two of them. Toward the end, after this whole encounter, it says they returned to Jerusalem to find the 11 there and their companions. So it seems they're clearly other disciples, not part of the official group um, as we know them. Um, it shows us that there were a lot more disciples than we often realize. Um, you know, when it says that the 11 were there with their companions, this is a sign of still others. 
And I'm guessing that a lot of these other disciples were women. Um, some were mentioned earlier in the chapter, in Luke's chapter, Mary Magdalene at the cross, a woman named Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. And these women disciples don't get a lot of attention. Um, earlier in Luke's gospel, in the beginning of chapter 8, if you look that up, um, other women are mentioned, Mary Magdalene again, Joanna again, and also another woman follower of Jesus who was the wife of Herod's steward. In addition to this, a woman named Susanna was mentioned as a disciple. So there were several of them, maybe many of them. It's very interesting to note in Luke chapter 8, uh, it says that these women provided for them, meaning likely the official group of the twelve, provided for them out of their resources. Um, so women were very present in the mission of Jesus, maybe even bankrolling the whole enterprise. And it's, it's too bad we don't know more about them. Um, this is one of the limitations of the biblical narrative. Um, it comes to us out of a patriarchal culture. So I'm wondering if maybe these two on the road to Emmaus were women. Uh, well, maybe at least one, because it does say that one of these people was named Cleopas, which is actually not a female name. The, the female counterpart would be Cleopatra. So one of them was male, and I'm guessing the other one, the unnamed one, was very probably a woman. Maybe they were even a couple. Who knows? It, it could easily be. So while they're walking, a stranger comes up and joins them and starts asking them questions. It's the risen Jesus. And just as in the other resurrection accounts, they don't recognize him. You know, what surprises me is why Jesus would not happily and enthusiastically introduce himself. Hey, it's me, Jesus. I've risen from the dead. Look. Everything's going to be okay. But for whatever reason, he doesn't do this. Somehow they have to discover him for themselves. And this certainly continues to be the case. The risen Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, is not immediately evident in our lives. He or she or they don't just come up to us and say, Hey, here I am. Look at me. It's much more subtle than that. People have to be open. It takes a certain kind of preparation and seeing, and there's a veil that has to be lifted somehow. Well, they finally get to their Airbnb or wherever they're staying, and the stranger is going to continue on the road. And so they encourage him, no, stay with us. Stay here, it's getting late. Jesus would have been content to carry on. I find it very intriguing that he shows no need to stay and reveal himself. He's content to let things be, even if they're unfinished. There's no urgency or anxiety about him. And it's a genuine human encounter. They ask, and he responds. Had they not asked, he would have just carried on. But since they ask him, he decides to stay. 
So it's an indication that the spiritual relationship with Christ depends very much upon us. It's very much a relational encounter, a two-way street. The Spirit will never impose or push her own way with us. The other thing that came to mind for me was the actual request, stay with us. It's the same request that was made a few days ago. Less than a week ago, Jesus was suffering greatly in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he asked his disciples to stay with him. We sang this refrain on Good Friday. Stay with me, remain here with me, watch and pray, watch and pray. The disciples could not. Jesus came back to them looking for support and comfort, and they were fast asleep. They could not stay and be present with him at his time of need. And so now here they are again, asking him to stay with them. Now, if he were a stingy Jesus or a rigid justice Jesus, he could have evened the score by saying, no, you didn't stay with me when I needed it. Why should I stay with you? I'd actually like to show you how it feels to be abandoned. But Jesus is not this type of person. He doesn't keep score. He doesn't count our sins against us. In him and in God, there is great mercy, endless mercy and compassion. And what a wonderful thing this mercy is. Think for a moment of all the mistakes that you've made over the course of your life, all of the times you've acted small and petty, taken the low road, the selfish way. If we were to reap the rewards of all the mistakes we've made, we'd have a lot of sadness coming. Of course, it's important to try to make amends for our mistakes when we can, but we realize we can't do it all. And how good it is to know that we don't have to carry the burden of our mistakes. There is mercy there is forgiveness in this world. With God, there is the most tender mercy. And so we can live from this moment on with a sense of true freedom, with joy, with new possibility, extending this life-giving mercy to others. May it be so. Amen.